but happy is he who keeps the law. What that literally says is where there is no prophetic revelation, the people cast off restraint. The word perish there is not, is not the word that means to literally die. It means to literally cast off restraint. We're just out of control. We have nothing leading us, guiding us. Remember we said boundaries provide safety. And whether people realize it or not, even your children, parents, your children will resist the boundaries that you set for them. But the reality is children that grow up with boundaries are children that grow up safe and secure. We said the Mississippi River is a great body of water, very productive in what it does, but when it leaves its banks, when it leaves its boundaries, it becomes very destructive. A people with no vision or no prophetic revelation are a people with no boundaries. They are a people left to wander and go wherever they will or life will take them. The people of God are not to be such. The people of God are to be a people with a prophetic revelation. And that prophetic revelation is a very specific revelation. It's defined and known by a name, and that name is Jesus Christ. He is the prophetic revelation. He is the revelation that Scripture gives to us, reveals to us, makes known to us. So we're going to talk about this over the next few weeks leading right up to Christmas. And today we're going to talk about a life governed in the Word of God. So a life of faith is motivated by prophetic revelation. Christ is that prophetic revelation. Christ is revealed where? He's revealed in the Word. He's revealed by or in the Spirit. Amen? He's revealed in the vision. He is our vision. We sing a song sometimes, Be Thou My Vision. Christ must be our vision. He must be the revelation that we see, that we seek, that we conform to, that defines our life. So Psalm 1, let's go there. A life governed in the Word of God. Now you guys realize that when the New Testament was written, there, there was no New Testament, right? So like Peter and James and John and Paul, those guys didn't have Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, Acts, and the letters to the Roman, 1st and 2nd Corinthians, Galatians, and Ephesians. They didn't have those. Those were written over the course of their ministry. Those were written in the years after the death and the resurrection of Jesus. So the Word of God that they had was what? It was the Old Testament Scriptures that we still have. And the New Testament Scriptures don't reveal anything that was not already revealed in the Old Testament. Jesus didn't come preaching and teaching anything that was not already revealed and made known in the Old Testament Scriptures. Jesus didn't come with a new revelation he came because he was the revelation. 
He didn't come and show us something that the Old Testament didn't reveal to us. He came and he was what the Old Testament from beginning to end, from Genesis to Malachi, from the very first word God spoke, let there be light, to the very last word that the last prophet of the Old Testament scriptures declared, he is that revelation. And so in Psalm, in Psalm 1, let's just read it together. It's a real short psalm, only six verses. Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor stands in the path of sinners, nor sits in the seat of the scornful. But his delight is in the law of the Lord. And in his law he meditates day and night. He shall be like a tree planted by the rivers of water that brings forth its fruit in its season, whose leaf also shall not wither, and whatever he does shall prosper. The ungodly are not so, but are like the chaff which the wind drives away. Therefore, the ungodly shall not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. For the Lord knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the ungodly shall perish. So we're talking about a life that's marked by faith, or a life of faith that's marked by being governed in the Word of God. A life governed in the Word of God. So let's take this psalm and let's let's look at these six verses and let's look at what the Word of God declares about a life that is governed in the Word. And what is the very first thing that we see here? Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the ungodly nor stands in the seat of, uh, of the path of sinners nor sits in the seat of the scornful. Blessed is the man who what? Whose delight is in the law of the Lord. Remember that, that word law is a Hebrew word, Torah, translated law in English. And, and law oftentimes, in our in our understanding of the Scripture, in our understanding of Christianity as New Testament believers, we use that term, we're New Testament believers, as if we don't believe the Old Testament. No, we believe the whole Word of God. We're not New Testament believers, we're believers. We believe the Old and the New because they have one message. So sometimes, as believers... We think the law is a bad thing. Oh, the law is bad. We've been delivered from the curse of the law. Well, it says we've been delivered from the curse of the law, not, not the law. Jesus made it very clear. He wasn't going to abolish the law. He came to fulfill the law. So the law is not bad. As a matter of fact, Paul says the law is good. The law is holy. Because the law reveals what to us? The law reveals who God is. The law reveals the very nature and character of God. How can that be bad? What's bad is if we mistakenly believe that the law is somehow a formula for us to become righteous. Now, that's bad. 
because the law was never given to us so that we could become righteous. The law was given to us so that our need for righteousness would be revealed. And how would God reveal our need for righteousness? He revealed it because he declared to us very plainly, very clearly, his own righteousness. And he says, this is who I am. This is what you must be. Can you do it? And the answer is, no, we can't. So the law became a magnifying glass that magnified our utter sinfulness. It brought us to hopelessness. It condemned us to death. You say, well, that sounds pretty bad to me. Not if you understand that unless we are crucified with him, we can never be raised with him. Unless we taste death as he tastes death, we can never taste and become partakers of his life. The law is not bad. And so here in the psalm, it says, blessed is the man who what? whose delight is in the law or whose delight is in the word of the Lord because this is what it's talking about. See, when we hear the word law, we, we think rules and regulations. Oh man, I gotta, I gotta drive 55 in the construction zone, but I'm in a hurry. It's a $350 ticket. I speak from experience. If you ever get behind me in the construction zone and you're in a hurry, too bad. I'm driving 55, whether I think there's a cop there or not. Law is bad. I, you know, I've got, got these rules, I've got these regulations, oh, it's so burdensome. No. See, blessed is the man whose delight is not just in the law in that sense, but in the word of the Lord, in the Torah, in God's spoken word in God's declaration of himself in who he is. Do you delight in who God is? Do you delight in what he has declared? Do you delight in in who he has revealed himself to be and what he has declared? Do you? A life governed by the word of God is a life that is blessed. That word blessed literally means happy. Happy is the man. We could say that. Happy is the man who doesn't walk in the counsel of the ungodly, who doesn't sit in the seat of the scornful. Happy is that man whose delight is in the law of God, the word of God. Happy is the man who walks in the counsel of God. Happy is the man who stands in the way of righteousness. Happy is the man who sits in the seat of humility and grace. That word scornful, the seat of the scornful is a seat of arrogance. It's a seat of pride. It's a seat of just speaking forth. God says, don't, don't be like that. Stand. Stand in the way of righteousness. Walk in the counsel of God. Sit in the seat of humility. Why? Because God resists the proud, the scornful, the arrogant. But he gives more grace to who? To the humble. 
So the seed of humility is also the seat of grace. The seat of the scornful is the seat of the proud, and there is no grace there. God resists the proud. Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor stands in the path of sinners, nor sits in the seat of the scornful. A life governed in the word of God is a blessed life. It's a happy life. I didn't say unhappy things wouldn't happen. They do. I didn't say unhappy times wouldn't come. They will. But if we know in whom we stand, if we know who we belong to, if we know who is our life, and how are we going to know that? Because our delight is in the law, the word of the Lord. What marks a life governed in the word of God? It's a life marked by blessedness. It's a life marked by delight. His delight is in the law of the Lord. His delight, his pleasure. Where is your delight? Where is your pleasure? Now think about this, this word delight. We could say it like this, his delight his desire, his longing, his pleasure is in the word of the Lord, the law of the Lord. In the law, he meditates day and night. In the word, he meditates day and night. You know what John 1.1 says in the beginning? Was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. Who is the word? Who is the law? Who is the Torah? Who is this scripture speaking of? Not just a a book. Yes, a book. Yes, writings. Yes. But these writings and this book speak of something much greater than ink and paper and leather or vinyl, whatever you have. It doesn't matter. Speaks of someone living Someone powerful. Someone who has no beginning and no end. He is the eternal word of God. His name is Jesus Christ. He is the word made flesh who has dwelt among us. And we have beheld his glory even as the only begotten of the Father. This is Jesus Where is your delight? Is your delight in the law, in the word? Is your delight in God who is the word? In Christ who is the word made flesh? Is he your delight? A life governed in the word of God is a life that delights in the word. Not just, Ethel, we got to read our Bibles again. We forgot this morning. So we better read before we go to bed tonight or God might be mad at us. Mm -mm. Hey, Christmas time is coming. Man, I don't want to go into debt like we did last year. Let's read our Bibles more. Maybe God will bless us with something. That's not what I'm talking about. Kids, get in here. We need to have our family devotion time. And if you don't, I'm going to spank your butts. (laughs) That's not what I'm talking about either. 
The pastor said the family should have family devotion time, so by gosh, we're going to do it, and you're going to enjoy it, or else. <laughs> That's not what I'm talking about. That's not delight. That's not delight. He meditates. Look at this. His delight is in the law of the Lord. And in his law, in his word, he meditates day and night. He meditates day and night in his delight. Now be honest, who overate over Thanksgiving? Is that all? My gosh. I need an intervention or something. Are you guys like, are you serious? I mean, there's like four of us that overate. Nobody else did. I mean, I was like nonstop eating, it seemed like. There was like every kind of food you could imagine. And I didn't even eat everything. And we had a small crowd. We had, what, 60 people this year. I mean, last year there was like 80-something people. This is my wife's family. There's just food everywhere. Okay, how many of you ate too much and you said this? Why did I eat so much? I'm miserable now. Did anybody say that? Again, four people? Oh my gosh. Wow. Well, why did I do that? Well, because I enjoyed it. Because I delighted in everything I ate. There wasn't anything... Okay, how many of you did this? Maybe that's why no one overate. How many of you did this? How many of you sat there and loaded your plate up and ate every bit of it and every bite you said, oh, God, I hate this. This tastes terrible. Oh, I think I'll have some more of that. That tastes horrible. Oh, that, that over there, I'm telling you what, that was the worst thing I've ever eaten in my life. You ought to go try it. You want to do that? You didn't do that, did you? You ate what you ate and you ate as much as you ate And you enjoyed it as much as you did because you delighted in it. I delighted in those sweet potatoes. Is that Joe Lynn's recipe? Yeah, those sweet potatoes are like, oh my gosh. You don't even need dessert when you have those sweet potatoes, you know? You just eat the sweet potatoes. And then we had this thing called potato surprise. It's the best potato casserole you will ever eat in your life. Only thing is there's no potatoes in it. We just thought there were potatoes in it, so we named it Potato Surprise because, surprise, there are no potatoes in it. (laughs) But it looks like potatoes. But, man, it is good. Probably why it's so good, because it didn't have potatoes in it. You know, it's just, you do that, why? Because you delight in it. Fried turkey, I delighted in it. The Bible says, taste and see that the Lord is good. The Jews would take the scriptures and they would put, they would put a, a drop of honey on the scripture and they'd have their children lick that drop of honey to teach them in a very graphic way that the word of God is good. It's sweet. It is something we should delight in. But see, it's got to become something more than just we delight in it because of our physical senses. If, if it's only... For our physical senses, eventually, that's going to come and that's going to go. There's got to be something we delight in beyond that. And Christ is who we must 
find our delight, find our pleasure, find our longing and our greatest desire. That's where we must find our delight is in Him. And to meditate day and night, He delights in the law of the Lord and in His law He meditates day and night. That is that is not legalism, that is pleasure. When God is our delight, we will be pleased to devote to Him our day and our night. And it won't even seem like we're doing it. You ever looked up at the clock and said, Wow! I can't believe it's that late. It just seems like. You know why? Because whatever you were doing, whatever you were occupied with, you probably were delighting in. When God is not our delight, it's hard to understand how this is walked out. When you hear pray without ceasing, it's hard to understand that if God is not your delight. Because our mind automatically goes to, man, I can't kneel on the floor that long because my knees start hurting. Or I don't, I don't have time to, to, to just devote to prayer. See, we've missed the entire point. You might kneel down. You might devote some time to prayer. But to pray without ceasing is to live your life with an attitude of prayer to live your life with your heart and your mind continually pointed toward God. You may be in a closet by yourself or you may be working on the job or pushing a cart in HEB or pumping gas at the gas station. Because what the psalmist is talking about is not something that you do for just a a moment in time or for hours throughout the day. It's something that defines who you are in your life. In your life, what is it? Who is it you find your delight in? Blessed is the man whose delight is in the law of the Lord. And he is so delighted and finds so much pleasure in the Lord that he meditates on him day and night. How far do your thoughts go? How far do you stray away in your thoughts from the Lord? How long does it take for you to come back, for your mind to return to him, for your thoughts to return to him throughout your day? Is he someone that you think of when you have moments of trouble, moments of trial, moments of tribulation? Or is he someone that is constantly in your mind, on your heart, and you cannot take your focus away from him for any amount of time because your delight is in him, because he is your very life? Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor stands in the path of sinners, nor sits in the seat of the scornful. But his delight, his very pleasure, is in the law of the Lord. And in his law, he meditates day and night. Verse 3, he shall be like a tree 
planted by the rivers of water that brings forth its fruit in its season, whose leaf shall not wither, and whatever he does shall prosper. He is blessed. He has found his delight. And the scripture says he shall be, not could be, not might be. He shall be like a tree. It's a promise. Now, verse 3 has a lot in it. And I want you to see what the psalmist has, has written here and what God has declared about those who find their delight in Him. He shall be like a tree planted. What does that word planted convey to you? It conveys purpose. It speaks of purpose. He shall be like a tree planted... speaks of will and purpose on the part of the planter who's ever planted a tree. Y'all, man, you guys need to live more. Okay? Plant a tree. Trees are good. You should, you should plant trees much as you, often as you can because they're really good to have on the earth. They are. I can't explain why they are. But they are. Just trust me, okay? Yeah. And lots of other things, too. Anybody ever plant a tree by accident? You don't plant a tree by accident, do you? Now, trees reproduce, and they don't even do that by accident because God, God created that system of reproduction. So you say, well, that acorn fell off the tree and it just accidentally grew there. No, it didn't accidentally grow there. God designed it to work that way. So even that's not an accident. But if you've ever planted a tree, I promise you, you planted it on purpose. And if you're like me, it probably takes you a couple of days to figure out exactly where you want to plant it. I'm not joking either. Ask my family. They'll tell you that's true. You know why? Because I like to plant trees that are going to get big. And if a tree's going to get to be 80 feet tall and spread out about 60 feet, you better, you better know where you plant it. Because when it gets 70 feet tall and 60 feet wide, and you plant it at two feet from your house, you're going to have some problems. So what you need to do is learn how to visualize and think, if that tree was 70 feet tall and 60 feet wide, planted right there, what would it be pushing against? What would it be interfering with? Can it do what it's supposed to do? See, that's part of our problem as Christians, as Americans, as people in this modern world today, we're not very long-sighted. We don't think about the long term. We live in the moment, for the moment. And we don't think about what has been and what will be. And we need to become people who understand what has been, what is, and what will be. We really do. And he shall be like a tree planted Here is will and purpose planted by the rivers of water. Not only is he going to be planted, but he's going to be watered. Why do you think the planter planted the tree by the rivers of water? Listen, when King David wrote this psalm, 
They didn't have water hoses and they didn't have water spigots. They didn't have irrigation systems piped out in PVC pipe to their trees. So if you were going to plant a tree, you wanted to plant it somewhere where you knew that tree was going to be watered. So planted speaks of will and purpose on the part of the planter. Planted and deeply rooted so that it would be nourished by the water. Do you see the spiritual implications here? God doesn't want us to be wandering nomads. God wants us to be planted trees. Because planted trees can take root. And trees that take root are trees that produce fruit. And how do we know God wants fruit? Well, he wrote a whole chapter, pretty much, in the Gospel of John. Not only that, it's all throughout the Scripture. But we do know this, in John 15, Jesus said, By this my Father is glorified, that you bear much fruit. What kind of tree, or or what do you think is going to bear more fruit? A tree planted in the desert around no water, or a tree planted by the rivers of water? What's going to be more fruitful? Come on. Yeah. By the rivers. Where should you be planted? You need to be planted where you are being nourished. Now that can speak to and of a lot of things, but let me just tell you this. Even this psalm speaks of something much greater than what we're talking about here because I'm talking to you about this psalm in terms of how we are the tree planted by the rivers of water, and that's true. We can take that analogy and we can apply it to our lives, but I'm going to tell you what. We can take it to an even deeper level if we understand what Jesus communicates in John 15 when he says, I am the vine and you are the branches. Or when the Old Testament prophesies and says, there shall spring up a root of Jesse. You're not the root, he's the root. Which means, ultimately, who is the tree? Well, Jesus is. Who is the tree of life in the garden? Who does that tree represent? It represents Christ. And while this psalm applies to us, yes, in a sense, let me tell you, what you really need to be planted in, what you really need to be growing out of, what you really need to be anchored in is Christ. He is the one whose roots will go deep, whose leaf will never wither. But here's the good news. If you are in Christ That is also true for you. This applies to you because you are a branch abiding in the tree whose leaf will never wither. That means your leaf, your leaf will never wither. It won't. So you're watered because you're planted by the rivers of water. You're fruitful in season. Look what it says. That brings forth its fruit in its Season.
There is a scripture in the Bible. To everything there is a... See, it's an old rock and roll song too. But they got it from the Bible. So let's just stick with the Bible, okay? I think it's interesting that God reminds us here that there are seasons in our life. What do you do in the seasons when when you seem to not be producing fruit? What does the scripture tell us? It's okay. But in its season, it will bring forth fruit. If you are abiding in this tree, if you are what this psalm declares, there will be seasons of your life where you might not see the fruit that you want to see, but hold on. God has created life to work this way. There are seasons, I tell people oftentimes, that are going through seasons of their life. So this is a season. This too shall pass. How many of you love the cold weather we've had this morning? I love it. It feels so good. Notice my wife's hand did not go up. She hates it. But this too shall pass. About six months from now, when it's 115 outside, I'll say to you again, how many of you love the 115 degree weather? And No doubt some hands will go up. I don't know why, but they will. Yeah, see, these guys have to work outside in it. They, they'll tell you they'd rather work in 115 than 15. But this too shall pass. Why? Because it's a season. God made it that way. But the promise is, you shall be like a tree that brings forth its fruit in its season, whose leaf shall not wither. What does that mean? means there is life, abiding life, abundant life, full life, fullness, not withered, full of life in all times and in all circumstances. John 10.10, Jesus said, I came that you might have life and that you might have it to the full. No doubt many of you have seen leaves wither on trees. You might have some trees in your lawn yard and the leaves have withered and fallen off. Now this time of year the leaves are supposed to fall off, but in the in the middle of the summer they're not supposed to turn brown and fall off. That's a sign that there is not fullness of life in that tree. This is what the scripture is declaring. Come what may, your leaf will not wither. Regardless of the circumstance you might find yourself in, Regardless of the things happening or not happening in and around your life, this is God's promise. Your leaf will not wither. Why? Because you have been purposefully planted in a place where you will receive water and nourishment. And God will make sure, even if it's dry everywhere else, God says, I will cause your roots to go deep. And you will receive the water necessary for you to maintain a fullness of life. This is why we must distinguish between joy and happiness in life. Happy is the man, yes, but Jesus says this. 
I want you to have joy. I speak these things to you, John 15, 11, that, that you would have my joy and that your joy would remain. See, joy is a fruit that's produced. Joy is not dependent upon my circumstances. Joy is a fruit that God produces through our lives. And our joy is not in our circumstance. Our joy is in the one who has produced. The one who is my life. Whose leaf shall not wither. And whatever he does shall prosper. He shall be planted. He shall be watered. He shall be fruitful. He shall be full. He shall be prosperous. I pray you be prosperous in every way, but understand this. Prosperity, the way the Bible defines it, and the prosperity, the way modern America defines it, are two different things. You don't have to be Michael Dell or a CEO with a millions and millions and millions of dollars in some fund somewhere for you to be prosperous. You don't have to drive a certain car, live in a certain size house, wear certain brands of clothes in order to be prosperous. I would tell you, in all honesty, the Apostle Paul was more prosperous than we probably can ever imagine. Not because he had a lot of money. He had that. He said he did. He's had a lot of money. He's had no money. He's had nice clothes. He's been naked. And what he's saying is, my prosperity is not dependent upon those things. Where is our prosperity? It's in Christ. Our prosperity is in Christ. What is it that God wants us to be prosperous in. He wants us to be prosperous. What is a prosperous tree? Let's keep the context here. What is a prosperous tree? It's a fruitful tree. If your apple tree never produces apple, would you say it's a prosperous tree? No. Now, along with that fruitfulness, there may come all kinds of things. But I'm telling you, first and foremost... Our prosperity must be defined in terms of what this word declares. And God wants us to prosper in his word. God wants us to prosper in his spirit. God wants to prosper through us in terms of his fruitfulness manifesting. He does. And so the Bible never says it's a sin to be rich. It's a sin to love riches. Because the love of money is the root of all evil. What are we commanded to love? Not money, but God. Who gives the power to create wealth? God does. That's what the Bible says. God does. But whether you are wealthy, listen, brothers and sisters, whether you are wealthy or not does not define your prosperity or not. You may be very wealthy, but not prosperous at all. You may be very poor, monetarily speaking, but yet be prosperous in many things. You might be both. That's the optimal, right? 
But define your fruitfulness, define your prosperity, define those things based on what the Scripture is declaring. What, who is this man that shall be like a tree? He is a man who finds his delight where? In the law of the Lord. Or we could say it like this, he finds his delight in God. When we find our delight in God, do you think we'll find other things? Yes, we will. Not because we're looking for other things, but because we have found so much delight in God, God's going to add to us and give to us whatever He wills to accomplish what? His will and His purpose through our life. There obviously was a time when God says, Paul, my will and my purpose dictates that you're going to be stoned almost to death that you're going to be shipwrecked multiple times, you're going to get bit by a snake, you're going to get run out of town, you're going to be naked, you're going to be homeless, you're going to become the scum of the earth, but it's okay, Paul, you are prospering more than you will ever realize because you are right in the middle of my will and purpose for your life. So we have all these naysayers. We have, the, we have like Job's friends who come to us and say, well, you know, that happened to you because you just uh, don't have enough faith. Or, well, you know, you just, what do you do? You don't do anything. You love them. You pray for them. But here's the thing. If you've got sin in your life, deal with it. Deal with it. Repent of it. And stop living contrary to your nature. If you name yourself a believer, then stop living as though you are not one. If you aren't in Christ and you're not saved today, I don't care how good you are. You are a sinner. I can't say it any more plain than that. And your sinfulness is not defined by what you do or don't do. It's defined by your nature. But if you, Christian, call yourself Christian, if you call yourself a child of God, then then live according to your confession. But understand this, just because you live according to your confession, just because you're living according to your nature as one having been born again and a new creation in Christ, that does not insulate you from trial and tribulation. Jesus promised us, John 16, in this world you will have tribulation. But be of good cheer. I have overcome the world. Understand that your prosperity transcends your circumstances. But remember, a life marked or motivated by faith is a life that lives with the expectancy of what will be. Now think about a tree for a moment. I have planted trees from little bitty babies And some of those trees now are quite large. And I've watched them. This year, they have gone through the roughest and toughest year they've ever gone through. Have you ever cut down a tree and and studied the rings of a tree? We were at at Barton Springs one, one year, and they had cut down some of the huge pecan trees. There at around Barton Springs, uh, that were damaged in a in a storm. I'm, I'm telling you, these these trees, I couldn't even. It'd take two of us to, to wrap our arms around them. And so those trees were there, and you could look at you could look at the tree. These trees are hundreds of years old. 
And you could see the years of prosperity when those trees experienced just large amounts of growth. The tree rings were very wide, noticeably wide. Then you, you would see other rings that were just very thin. Those were the years of drought. Those were the hard years where there was no rain, where the heat was intense and the growth was very minimal. But those rings were found, those rings were found early on in the life of this tree. What am I trying to tell you? I'm telling you to understand that your life is like a tree. Your life is not defined by the here and now, by the moment you're living in right now. Your life is defined, your blessedness, your delight, your prosperity. Those things are defined, your fruitfulness. Those things are defined over the course of your life. And God has inspired this psalm to help us understand that we are to be like trees. We're not defined by the season of drought you might be in right now. Your life is defined over the course of your life. And what is the course of your life in Christ? How long does your life in Christ last, church? 60, 70, 80 years if we're really strong? No! Our life in Christ is eternal. It's eternal. So why are you going to define who you are based on a finite span of time? Why will we define God's world based on a finite span of time? Open your eyes and see what God is declaring. You can't define the life of a tree any more than the summer of 2011 that tree's going to live three, four hundred years, that's just one year. That's one season out of its long life. Our life is much greater than that of a tree. Think of the oldest, biggest tree you can think of, and your life is so much greater than that in Christ because your life is eternal. And don't allow the world, and don't allow the enemy, and don't allow well-meaning believers to come to you and define your life on the short span of time or the things that may have befallen you or the tribulation or the trial you may be going through right now. This is where we need to get a bigger vision of who God is and a bigger vision of who we are in Christ. And the Spirit of God in you will help you. You've got sin, deal with it. If you're just going through a season of drought, the promise of God is... It may be really dry and hot on the outside, but God says, I've caused your roots to go deep and you're not going to wither. Your leaf will not wither. Your fruit will come forth in its season. It will. That's God's promise to us. You will prosper in spite of the season you're in right now, in spite of the drought. The ungodly, verse 4, are not so but they are like the chaff which the wind drives away. What does that tell us? The ungodly are like the chaff that the wind drives away. That means the godly are immovable. Our roots go so deep and are so strong that the wind and the storm will come and we may bend, but we will not break. We shall not be driven away like the chaff that the ungodly are. 
Therefore, verse 5, the ungodly shall not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. That means this man, blessed, whose delight is in the law of the Lord, whose delight is in the word of God, who is in Christ Jesus, this man who is like a tree planted and watered, fruitful, living, full, prosperous, this man shall stand in the judgment. In this is love that in the day of judgment we have boldness and confidence because as he is, so are we in this world. 1 John 4, 16. We will stand in the judgment. We will not be driven away like chaff. We will stand, where? In the congregation of the righteous. Hallelujah. Why? Not because I'm righteous, but because he is my righteousness. Because I am a branch whose life is in this tree, planted, rooted, grounded, fruitful. The true tree growing out of the true root. We stand in the congregation of the righteous because he is our righteousness. Verse 6, for the Lord knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the ungodly shall perish. That doesn't mean he doesn't know the way of the ungodly. He knows the way of the ungodly. He just told us the way of the ungodly. Where does the way of the ungodly end? It ends in death. That word perish there is not the same word from Proverbs 29, 18. That word perish in the Hebrew there literally means they will perish. They will die. But the way, the righteous, the Lord knows the way of the righteous. That word way means a path, a road, but it speaks not just of a physical path. It speaks of a way of life. God knows the way of life of the righteous. Why? Because he directs it. Because he gave it to you. Because he, he grafted you into that tree. And he is not going to allow you to go any other way. He's not going to let you perish. It speaks of a directed path, a path of life and not death. Psalm 1611 says, In your presence is fullness of joy. But it says, You will show me the path of life. In your presence is fullness of joy. And at your right hand are pleasures, delights forevermore. Is he your pleasure? Is he your delight, church? If he is, this psalm is a promise made to us. This is a life governed by by the word of God, not in legalism, but in delight, in pleasure. Let's all stand. I pray that he will become an even greater measure, your utter delight and your utter pleasure. If you're here today and you want prayer,
for anything, for physical healing. If you want to talk about coming to know Christ, if you have questions about things we've talked about in the Scripture, after I pray this prayer of dismissal, I would invite you to come. And the elders in the church and I will pray for you. We'll pray for anything that you desire prayer for. Do you believe in prayer? Do you believe in the power of prayer? Do you believe God still heals today? Do you believe God still does miracles today? The Bible says you have not because you ask not. And so if you want prayer, if you want someone to lay hands on you and pray for you, I want you to know that we're available for you. Amen? Father, we ask you today that you would, by your Spirit, open the eyes of our understanding. God, these things that you have declared in your Word, these these beautiful pictures that you have written in your Scripture, Lord, that, that are written for us today, I pray, Father God, that we would be men and women, that we would be people of God who are blessed, who are happy in you, who find our delight in you, who find our very delight and pleasure in walking in the counsel of God, in walking in the way of righteousness, sitting in the seat of humility and grace. Lord, Lord, we would see ourselves, even though we may be going through a rough season of drought and dryness in our lives and trials and tribulations and storms have have attacked us and come against us. God, we would see ourselves as a tree that you have planted by the rivers of water. Our roots go deep because your root is true and your root is never ending. Lord, we have been branches that you have created and you have grafted into this tree of life. And that, Lord, your promise is that we will be fruitful in our season. That our leaf will not wither. That, God, we will be prosperous people in whatever we put our hand to. Lord, we will not be driven away. We will stand in the judgment. We stand in the congregation of the righteous because you are our righteousness. And we thank you, Lord, that you know our way and you know our path because you ordered it, you created it, you destined it. And Father, we thank you that we today who are in Christ can know our way. And our way is a way of life eternal. And we pray for the wicked, God. We pray for those who are on a path not to life, but a path to destruction. And we ask you, God, in your grace, that they be turned. That we would be a people to not just tell them about Jesus, but we would be a people that would reveal the very Jesus that they must come to see and know. That they too... Father, can be put on a path of life eternal. We thank you for that, Lord. We thank you for who you are. We honor you and we glorify you in the name above all names, in the name of Jesus. And everybody said, amen. Come on.